Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Admiral, thank you very much for taking the time. And I, I really do appreciate And I want you to know from uh, listeners' comments that I see and hear, emails and phone calls, uh, you're very much appreciated, sir. Well, thank you, Roy, and thank you to your listeners. Um, I, uh, I enjoy the opportunity to uh, discuss issues that I think are important to Canadians, and uh, I'm just glad that um, I was able to serve, and I'm glad that I can continue to uh, contribute productively, I hope. Yes, sir. To, uh, yeah, to the discussion. Yeah, uh, you do. You really do. And and we like to hear from you and hear your thoughts. Now, you tweeted out, and I follow you on, on Twitter, as you know, and thank you for following me as well. Um, and, and you tweeted out that, um, and your, your Twitter handle is at COMD underscore RCN underscore 34. There, there's a, there was a piece that was in the, uh, in the National Post that was written by a former, uh, officer in the Canadian military, Charles Davies. And, uh, Mr. Davies points out the military has become political, becomes politicized generally. I think that, uh, if I may say, the time of federal elections and the National Post piece makes the point very well. Anyone who remembers the 1993 federal election will remember two promises by the eventual winner and Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. One, abolish the GST, and two, zero uh, new helicopters. Well, the GST wasn't abolished, it stuck around, but there were no new helicopters to replace the Sea Kings, older than their crews, and Mr. Chrétien's government spent $500 million to cancel the military search and rescue helicopter purchase contract for the EH-101. Uh, this is, uh, Admiral, this is something I talked about a great deal on the air in those days. How did this reverberate with the Canadian military, and how does it fit into the, today's discussions? Well, that's a couple of really good questions, and I think, you know, I don't want to speak for the entire um, military community, but I can give you a sense that uh, members of the military don't necessarily appreciate being used as uh, political pawns uh, for, for whatever purpose. That, that they recognize um, the importance of service. That's why they're there. Um, they have made a conscious decision to, to uh, serve their country. And for the most part, they just want to get on with it. They, they believe it's an honorable thing to do. And they don't like um, seeing the uh, basically back and forth of uh, the politicization of, of the military itself. And more importantly, I think it, it's the politicization of defense uh, overall as a strategic issue. And, and uh, there's some real danger and pitfalls in doing that. What would uh, the most serious be? Well, I think, you know, you, you raised a good example uh, of, um, you know, cancellation of a program. And that, that, that is more a symptom of the bigger problem. I think the bigger problem is that defense is one of those issues that <clears throat> should not be uh, subject to the, the whim, <clears throat> excuse me, the whim of, you know, one party over another. And it should be a constant. 
Um, it's a very serious issue. Uh, it is an issue that affects, uh, you know, obviously the, the, the integrity of the nation. Um, and when you, when you start using it as a political pawn, what ends up happening is the focus becomes on those issues, and it tends to diminish the significance of national defence as a strategic issue, and it also becomes a distraction. And you end up, uh, the organization ends up spending an enormous amount of time and often money um, dealing with the short-term political objectives as opposed to continuing to deliver um, uh, national defence for the country. Yeah, uh, Admiral, I wanted to ask you to comment on this, uh, but uh, there was an issue that uh, we spoke about a great deal on this program, and that had to do with the the uh, putting in a service of a supply ship for the Royal Canadian Navy, which it desperately needed, so it could be more than just an offshore patrol entity, and uh, the MS Asterix, and that became uh, an issue of, uh, of of political intrigue. I won't ask you to comment on that, Admiral, but I think... We, we all know what that was about, and and uh, we know what, what you contribute to this country and, and to the betterment of our military and the betterment of just our own security. But what's the, what's the correct way to proceed? Um, what, what, how should, you, know, you talk about overlapping, and that's what happens. Political parties uh, overlap, and there's one party gets elected, and then they're kicked out, and then the, the new party coming in doesn't like what the old party was going to do because it's not politically advantageous to them, and so the military's in the middle. How do they get? How does the military get out of the middle? Yeah, it, I think uh, there's a couple of useful examples. Australia, in particular, um, they haven't, you know, they don't have a perfect system down there. But I think I'll give you two uh, quick responses. The first one is focus on the common elements of the defense platforms and defense policies, and stop focusing on the, those those smaller elements, which are used simply to divide. Um, the, uh, the the supporters of either side. So that would be the first thing. And the second thing would be that we need to look uh, beyond the uh, short-term horizon of whatever the next political event is, and we need to look at defense as a long-term strategic national interest. And therefore, it needs to be. We need to take a generational, multi-generational view. And if if we could start doing that, and we could get the parties uh, to focus. Um, on those common elements and on the longer-term objectives, I think, uh, you know, perhaps it's naive, but I think that that's what we were seeing in Australia and, and a couple other countries around the world, where the, the partisan issues um, are dealt with separately and outside of the, the key importance of a national strategy uh, as it relates to defense and security. Yeah, we, we have a tendency to look south to the Americans, do we not politically anyway? Yeah, Certainly, and I mean, you know, it's hard not to. Um, you know, they're there, they're they're ever present, um, and and we're inundated with what's going on. And you know, that they, they have they equally have issues um, as it relates to defense and security. Um, but you know, the, the, they they have a different view uh, of the importance of their of their national defense as a as an instrument of power. And uh, yeah, they disagree, but uh, there's certainly more unity as it relates to the armed forces and what it needs and what it should be doing than we see perhaps here north of the border. Yeah. Uh, Admiral, a week ago you tweeted, and again, your Twitter handle is at uh, uppercase C-O-M-D underscore R-C-N underscore 34. 
about the disaster aboard HMCS Kootenai 51 years ago. Would you speak to that and the impact that disaster has had and continues to have on the RCN? Yeah, so sadly, uh, on the 23rd of October, um, 1959, uh, HMCS Kootenai was a destroyer escort, was with a group of Canadian ships operating uh, out, out of the United Kingdom. It had, had undergone some maintenance um, and it had a uh, it had a massive explosion in the engine room, uh, resulting in a fire that almost uh, destroyed the ship, uh, injured 53 and killed nine uh, uh, of the crew. It was it's the largest uh, RCN loss at sea um, uh, outside of uh, wartime. So it it had an enormous impact uh, on the navy, not just of the day, but it it really impacted how we look at firefighting uh, on board the ships, how we design our ships to minimize the potential for the spread of fire, uh, how we train our people, how we equip our people. And uh, as I mentioned in the tweet, I mean, it, it's impacted generations. We all join the Navy and grow up hearing about Kootenai, um, and not from a nostalgic perspective, but from a lessons learned perspective. And uh, although it was 51 years ago, the lessons are still as useful um today as they as they were uh, a year or two after the event in fact one of the damage control or firefighting training facilities um, in halifax that the navy owns and operates is actually named kootenai um after after the ship admiral norman i just have to read you a little bit of an email that i received uh, just in the last two minutes from jeff thanks for having uh, the admiral speak will he run for office well, you can you can thank Jeff for his uh, his support and his interest, and uh, you know it, it's I, there's many ways to serve, and uh, I think uh, at this point, as you said, let's let's talk about um, why remembering those who have served and those who continue to serve is so important right now. Yeah, let's talk about Remembrance Day. Would you please speak from your perspective and your your experience, Admiral, to the significance of Remembrance Day, uh, significance in, in 2020? Um, because I wonder if the importance of recognizing and honoring those who wore the uniform and those who were, who were wounded and captured and or died, and that includes a new generation of young CAF veterans, if the importance of honoring Remembrance Day has slipped somewhat in the Canadian psyche, and I say that in, in, in light of... Most of us have seen the video of the defiling of the National War Memorial where Corporal Nathan Cirillo of the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders was murdered six years ago on October the 22nd. Would you please please speak to the significance of Remembrance Day? Yeah, it's, well, you know, I grew up in a military family, a third generation service. Uh, for me, it was, uh, it, it was and continues to be a really important event. Um, I mean, not everybody has the... the the means or is necessarily inclined to think about those who are serving on a daily basis. So the least we can do one day a year is, is to think about them and, and those sacrifices. And I think, you know, to your question, it's not just um, the sacrifices themselves, but it's the underlying sense of why um, those people that lost, gave their lives or uh, were injured uh, and their families why they did what they did and this notion of service um, being greater than self um, contributing to something bigger contributing to something important and so yeah we un unfortunately uh, we have a couple of recent reminders of um, the fact that uh, you know people are uh, for whatever reason 
either they they don't understand, they don't get it, or or they have some other agenda. Um, and I, I think what disturbs me in that context is not necessarily the tragic events themselves, and I'm thinking not just the loss of Corporal Cirillo a few years ago, but the recent vandalism, is that we um, are allowing the, that kind of attitude to creep into um, our society and our culture and what possesses somebody to think that uh, vandalizing the National War Memorial, uh, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, to be specific, it is something that is in any way acceptable and that, that they would think that that was right. Um, and we just can't let that go on. As to what's going on today versus 20 years ago versus 40 years ago, I, I think personally that there's an enhanced interest, an increased interest, and that goes to your point about the newer generation of, of veteran and, and uh, the recognition that um, you know Canadian Canada's military has been engaged uh, throughout our lifetime doing amazing things around the world, but sadly um, it, it, uh, it, it results in the loss of life of uh, amazing young Canadians. In fact, we just lost one today in Wainwright, Alberta. Your listeners um, may not have heard, but uh, there was a, a training accident in Wainwright, uh, the details of which are just being reported now. And I think that's a poignant reminder um, of the fact that uh, it, this is the price, unfortunately, that we pay for pre- freedom, and we can never take that for granted. Yeah, I'm very sorry to hear that. And uh, I'm sure you saw a great enthusiasm in the eyes of uh, of young members of the military who had just joined over the years, and and uh, and and they 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 did it for all the right reasons to serve this country and again service before self. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, it is one of the most exhilarating aspects of a career in the military was to see uh, the new uh, folks come in uh, with that uh, sense of uh, enthusiasm and excitement and pride and uh, just wanting to make a difference. Um, and, and I can tell you that, um, you know, we're, we're in good hands in terms of the folks that are coming into the military these days. Great. Admiral, we have about a minute. Your former colleague in the Canadian military, General Andrew Leslie, tweeted, and you retweeted earlier this month, after a news account that Mr. Trudeau had blasted the Conservative Party for keeping the weed probes in Parliament alive, General Leslie tweeted that it's the role of the official opposition to oppose the government on a day-to-day basis and hold them accountable. What about that tweet struck a, struck a responsive chord to you? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm uh, increasingly bothered by... Um, the, the rhetoric in this country associated with um, the the notion of responsible government and or the not the notion the, the significance of responsible government and what that really means and that debate is um, a, a natural function of a properly working democracy and debate does not mean um, necessarily arguing it doesn't mean being nasty with each other, it means constructive debate, and the opposition has a role to play, and it doesn't matter which parties are in which roles, um, our democracy needs to function properly, and if we start turning it into um, a, a more visceral and, and uh, divisive um, issue, then uh, I, I fear for what that says about our democracy going forward. If you want to hear more, Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever 
you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.